Yeah, university is full of opportunities and these are opportunities that are going to be hard to find anywhere else. So um, I, I, I'm a big fan of taking you know, opportunities that you find interesting while you're there. Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the student lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This podcast is brought to you by Feed Ignite. Hello and welcome to the Student Lawyers podcast. My name is Stephanie, I'm an LLB law student and I will be your host for today. This episode is brought to you by TSL in collaboration with the Junior Lawyers Division of the Westminster and Holborn Law Society. In this episode, I will be in conversation with three lawyers from the Junior Lawyers Division. We'll be hearing from the previous chair of the Westminster and Holborn JLD, Susanna Eames, a family solicitor at Farrow & Co. Anisha Burke, an IP and commercial solicitor, also at Farrow & Co. And Rishi Joshi, a trainee solicitor at Hodge, Jones and Allen about their journey to becoming a lawyer and hearing their top tips for student lawyers pursuing a career in law. Students have recently received their GCSE and A-level results and now thinking about their future careers. When you were at school, Rishi, what were your plans? Were you already thinking about law? Um, so I, I guess I've like a lot of people, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do um, during high school. Um, and then in year 10, we all had to do sort of two weeks of work experience. Um, and I did mine um, at Harrow Crown Court. Um, and I spent two weeks there sort of going in different departments, um, seeing what, you know, how the whole sort of court system functioned. Um, and I really enjoyed it. So I got to sit in on some trials, um, you know, sort of see the barristers with their wigs on um, in action. Um, I got to meet um, some of the judges and have a chat with them, but then also like see sort of the different clerks and the court officers behind the scenes. And I just found it really interesting, just a lot of fun. And I think, yeah, I think at that point, I sort of thought, yeah, maybe this is something that I want to do um, going forwards. But so I think that really helped me um, to decide, but yeah. That's really interesting. Do you think without doing that work experience, you you would have come to that decision on your own? Or do you think work experience is really um, more important to secure early on? I think, it, I think it can really help in terms of deciding because, um, you know, when you're sort of thinking about um, what you want to do for sort of GCSEs or A-levels or just tr- starting to think about um, sort of careers at that school stage, it's just nice to try things out um, and just see what you enjoy. Um, you know, I could have hated it um, and that also would have been great because then that's something that I wouldn't want to do again. Yeah, you uh, could take it off the list. Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I don't think there's any harm in doing it. And I think it's, um, it's just really helpful. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Susie, how did you go about picking your GCSEs and A-level subjects? You know, was there a particular strategy? What advice would you give to current students who are making these decisions? So, for me, um, a big thing that I thought about when I was picking my GCSEs and A-levels 
was it was a combination of both what I enjoyed and also what I was good at. Um, so I was I was a bit of a math nerd at school. Um, I did I did quite a lot of like math competitions. You know, I found that I was quite a logical person. But at the same time, I still really enjoyed writing. And for me, I thought that actually that was something that was quite specific to me, especially with my A-levels. I, I sort of sat down and thought both, you know, what do I enjoy and what am I good at? And I took at that point, um, this it sort of also feeds into your question about was I already thinking about law? Because once I'd realised that I wanted to take both a maths approach and a sort of writing approach, that naturally led me to think, well, maybe law is a career for me because I wanted that that logical, um, the logical thing that comes with doing subjects like maths. But I also didn't want to give up things like reading books, um, you know, studying English texts in more detail. So. Um, yeah, I would just encourage everybody to, to, you know, to take a step back and actually think, what, what, you know, what do I really enjoy? And then how does that combine with what I'm good at? That's, I think that's a really interesting way of pushing it. Kind of like, just because you enjoy maths doesn't need, well, you don't need to particularly put yourself into a box and say, I'm going to be a mathematician. There are other exactly. options. I, I found I had quite a lot of friends who were very good at maths and then also did a lot of science subjects. You know, and that is really great for people who want to become engineers, scientists. You know, there are lots of great jobs out there, but it's not the only thing that there is. And if you find that you enjoy maths or, you know, this this applies to lots of other things too. But if you find that it's not the only thing you enjoy, if you think a bit more creatively, there could be some good combinations out there. You know, for me, maths and English was basically what I ended up doing. And that has led me to law and where I am now. Yeah. Does that help with... um the math side of things, if you're uh, particular, maybe a lawyer who is working in a finance department. Completely, absolutely 100%. Um, I have to say, doing maths, I work in, um, in family law, but I work in sort of financial remedies, which is splitting assets on divorce. And there are so much maths is necessary. I would never underestimate the value of studying something like maths at A-level because I guarantee that it will be helpful in the future, regardless of what area you go into. Anisha, how, how about you? So in terms of GCSE and O-level student, um, subjects, I guess I was pretty broad, like Susie. Um, I probably was more towards the art side of things. I loved history, literature. Um, I loved writing. Um, I kind of had some... Uh, idea about wanting to study law in the future but I'd heard already about the fact that you could convert to law and so you could really pretty much study what you wanted and that meant for me GCSE, A-levels and my um, degree course were really about just what I thought I was interested in Um, so I was kind of keeping things very open uh, at that time and that kind of worked out fine. Well thank you for covering that. Rishi, did you find it difficult when you got to A-levels and were deciding what to study at university? How did you decide and how did you all study law? Um, So I think I was quite similar to um, Anisha in that respect. So uh, I really enjoyed doing languages at school. So I I think I was probably one of the 
sort of odd ones out in that I chose to do French and German at school, whereas most people tried to do just one or the other or sack both off. Um, and I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I did it for A-levels as well. And yeah, it was just, yeah, I really enjoyed doing languages. I didn't want to give them up for university. Um, so I'd thought about maybe doing um, law with a language, um, but I basically just didn't want to drop the other one. And so I realised that I could also do a law conversion and didn't actually have to, you know, do uh, drop either. And that was really appealing to me. Um, and so I think, yeah, if, if, if there are people out there that are sort of thinking about, you know, have a different interest, they want to pursue it. I don't think it's off the table at all. Um, and I think it's really interesting to, you know, go into a different discipline for your undergraduate studies and, you know, really get your teeth under that and then come to the law. I think it's a really helpful addition and it helps you to think in slightly different ways. Yeah, I've heard that ha uh, that learning another language, you, you can um, use that when you're a lawyer, as you might have clients that um, you, there, there could be a language barrier and having a second language can often sometimes be really helpful so you don't have to employ translators to come in and, and um, you know, translate maybe contracts for you. Is that right? Um, definitely. I think so you know, the legal profession being fairly cautious, um, you, you know, depending on the firm that you're at, especially if you're at a, you know, a sort of a commercial firm, it's more likely that you will have um, translators and interpreters that are available, um, especially when it comes to sort of important things like, you know, contracts or other legal documents. But um, having said that, I think it can be really helpful if you're able to speak to a client you know, and just have an initial chat in their language and help them to feel, feel at ease yeah. um, at the other end of the profession. So I work at a um, firm that does a lot of legal aid work. And there sometimes it's just not possible to get a, an interpreter or a translator on time or, you know, work is last minute. And it can be really helpful if you're just able to um, speak to them in their in their own language um, and, you know, build that sort of rapport. So, yeah, it's definitely been handy. Wonderful. So one of the things uh, most sixth form or a lot of sixth formers dread is writing uh, the personal statement and um, for some courses at actually attending an interview. I know um, myself, well for myself, I uh, left school quite a few years ago now and I absolutely still dread uh, writing that personal statement. Anisha, what were your experiences like when having to write a personal statement? And do you have any tips for, um, well, myself and other people who are writing these personal statements that are so dreaded? I think, uh, yeah, we were all just um, reminiscing on the joys of writing our personal statement uh, a minute ago. So I would always start with the subject you're applying for and trying to understand why, what it is about that subject that you find interesting. I think it's important to kind of show different aspects of your character. So maybe things outside of school that you enjoy. I think some of the tips that came up were giving yourself lots of time to plan and, um, uh, you know, being aware of the fact that it's not going to be an easy thing to sit down and do. So starting with lots of time and also coming back to it and thinking about it and revising it. I don't know, did anyone else have any tips? Well, one thing I was thinking is that I know it's really, really painful 
but get someone else to proofread your statement. I, I mean, I absolutely hate it when other people read things that I've written. I feel quite self-conscious about it, but it's worth doing because they will be essentially reading it from the perspective of the university. You know, they're someone who's not connected to you and they'll be reading it with fresh eyes. And it's likely that they'll pick up on things that you've never thought about, you know, or you, you just wouldn't see because you're too into your statement. So um, definitely get someone else to read it and someone who's going to be honest with you as well. You know, there's no good, there's no point having somebody um, read it who is just going to tell you, yes, yes, it's all great. You know, you want somebody to go through it critically and it, it will be really, really helpful. That's really good to know. Thank you. So moving on to university life now, Susie, what was your university experience like and uh, what extracurricular activities did you do? I'll spit my words out. Um, so I think... Um, you know, lots of people have very different university experiences and do different levels of extracurricular activities. I I did loads. I mean, I went to university um, and I was absolutely overwhelmed by the choice of extracurricular activities. And I was one of these people that goes to the Freshers' Fair and signs up to literally everything. And while that is great at the beginning, um, you do not have the time to sign up for literally everything. Um, so some, but some of the main things that I did, um, I got involved in my um, with the University Law Society, um, and I thought that was probably one of the best. It was one of the best things I did because it enabled me to meet other lawyers. It enabled me um, to start taking on positions of responsibility. Um, I was the treasurer, and it was something that I hadn't really done before. But it gave me a real um, business sense about how to sort of manage money in a society. But also, it was a lot of fun. You know, I went to loads of events with lawyers. You know, I really got to socialise. I got to learn, you know, what interested other people in the profession. Um, And I would highly recommend that sort of thing. Another thing that I did that was a little bit different is that I I was working at a, um, essentially the college bar. And I ended up sort of running the college bar. And I have to say, when I look back on my university experience, that was that was one of the best things I did. I mean, it, it sounds very different and it sounds a bit quirky, but it enabled me to learn. It, it enabled me to gain a sort of commercial understanding, which is very hard for law students to get when you're dealing with an academic course. Whereas I was gaining a practical reality of how businesses function in the real world. So I think if you can find any extracurricular activities that you're interested in, but also um, are a little bit different I, I say go for them <laughs> that sounds great so so really what you're saying is find something that you find interesting which you maybe wouldn't necessarily um have chosen if you weren't in a at university and these things weren't kind of like yeah. um delivered to you yeah university is full of opportunities and these are opportunities that are going to be hard to find anywhere else so um I, I, I'm a big fan of taking, you know, opportunities that you find interesting while you're there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've I've heard from um, a number of people that law students should look at things maybe outside of the law. So, you know, do something that's a little bit artistic, just to get mm-hmm. balance and to broaden your um, scope a little bit. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, doing your course, you will gain an incredible, you know, academic foundation. 
But the things that you won't get are those sort of softer skills, which are really valuable for lawyers. I know that for me, as you know, as a solicitor, some of the most valuable things are how I talk to difficult clients, you know, um, and that is something you're not going to be taught on a law course. But I can tell you that's something I learned at the bar, you know, dealing with difficult customers at 1 a.m., um, that was probably more useful to me than dealing with, you know, a client who's crying down the phone at me. Rishi, what was your experiences like? Um, so I, as I, I did French in German at university and I really got stuck in with um, just the German society. Um, so um, there are quite a few sort of socials um, that were organised, which is good fun. And the university that I went to, which I think, you know, it'll, essentially applies to most universities that people go to but it was very international um and so it was really great to speak to other um people that were just kind of interested in german or were german speakers um and yeah just meet new people so that was good fun um the society also organized a german language play so we put on this brechtian play um in our second year which was a lot of fun, but I mean, you know, looking back, it was probably quite amateur. Um, but it was really good. It was really enjoyable. We had like we were a really small knit department, um, and so all the lecturers came to see. We had all our friends and family come to see it as well, um, and it was really good fun. And I think again, it just sort of echoes what Susie's just said in that you know it's good to just sort of try new things out um, and meet new people. And I guess sort of develop those soft skills and the only way that you really do that is just by I guess you know just doing stuff yeah. um, quite simply um, so yeah that was something and then I think in my final year I was involved with the uh, so there was a German language student paper in the, in the department and so I was involved with that which was probably quite a stressful thing that I had to do during my final year um, but actually it was a lot of fun and it was great to sort of, um, you know, you're spending so much time uh, writing essays um, and everything is so English focused. It was really good to like try and use something that um, me and a lot of my sort of uh, friends were working on in terms of German in a different way and like to really try and express ourselves in German um, at a sort of I want to say a highbrow level, but it probably didn't come across that way, but it was fun nonetheless. Yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that was me. I was going to say, did you, did you guys keep um, up these activities in third year? Do you, do you think that it's something that more first, maybe second year should be, should be doing? And then when you're in your third year, maybe try and focus more on the um, end of your exams and essays, have no distractions. Anisha, what do you think? Oh, yeah. Um, well... Yes and no. I think, you know, you learn what you can do and what you can balance. So in third year, I didn't quite give up everything. So I think if you can keep it going and you're comfortable with that, then sometimes it can be a welcome break and it can be a good um, source of perspective, you know, doing your studies nine to five and then having a club or a society or, or even like a part time job that you, you go to in the evening. It's, it can be time-consuming and draining but it also can be a good source of balance I think when things get quite intense. Yeah that makes sense. So Alicia when when you were in second and third year how did you go about deciding what to do after university? Well I went to university when the recession happened so we were all sort of looking at the jobs market thinking "Hmm, what's going to happen to us (laughs) Um, and um, I sort of had 
an interest in working in the arts and working in museums and galleries. So I wasn't really thinking about law courses, um, sort of a sort of training contracts at that time. Um, I was thinking more about how can I get work experience in museums and galleries. And it was pretty clear to me that I would need to, because I studied philosophy and theology at undergraduate, it was pretty clear to me that I would need to specialise a bit more academically in the history of art. So I was kind of looking at a master's. Um, Perhaps I was also influenced by the fact that that there was a recession. And so taking an extra year to do some studies uh, at that time wasn't a bad thing, if I'm completely honest. So I was thinking about it a little bit differently, I think. So Rishi and Anisha, you didn't do law at university. So did you find it, um, did you find that you had to kind of like prove yourself when applying for training contracts um, a little bit more than maybe somebody who did do law at university? Rishi, what do you think? I, I definitely thought about that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Especially because, um, you know, you, you just won't have sort of or you think that you won't have the experience that someone who's done law for three years will have when you've squeezed it into one year but I think what sort of helped me to just kind of put that aside was um, going to uh, open days organized by firms or you know going to careers events Mm -hmm. Um, and it was often you know one of the things I just was repeated time and time again was that firms were really interested in um, hiring people from you know that had sort of the law degree but also that did something slightly different and they were really open to sort of um yeah te- interviewing those types of candidates and having people work there that had sort of done something slightly off the wall so I think it is daunting and you know you've just got to yeah you've just got to sort of accept that your experiences are different and that's not necessarily a bad thing yeah I, I've heard that there are a lot of career changes these days that are trying to break into law. So it sounds like uh, law firms are more accepting to people that have different backgrounds and experiences. Would you, would you say that's correct? I, I think so. I mean, I think um, um, I think it just from based on what Anisha said, I think she's yeah. probably got a better idea. On <laughs> yeah, I'm um, I'm one of these uh, breakthrough career changes. <laughs> um yeah I mean I I always kind of thought I think that like Rishi noted there are some advantages to not having studied law and there are also some advantages to having had a different job like like Susie picked up on the fact that 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 gave her a commercial understanding I felt that by the time I'd come to the decision that I wanted to do law I had um, a better understanding about certain things like what it was to to be in a workplace environment and some of the kind of commercial issues that clients faced, organisational issues, um, dealing with difficult, you know, uh, scenarios, difficult clients, difficult, um, tricky projects. I just, I don't know, I felt like my work experience in a different, in an entirely different industry really helped, yeah, in, in some ways in terms of making my application. And I certainly didn't feel like that I necessarily had to prove myself. I knew I didn't have legal work experience and I knew that was a kind of a blind spot for me. But then I just thought, well, I've got all this other stuff. So, yeah, I just looked at it like that. So for our listeners um, that didn't do law or thinking about doing something else and then doing the uh, GDL, which is the Graduate Diploma in Law, that is one thing that you can do after university. Um, 
what about the other things that you can do after university, like the BPTC and LPC? Susie, can you explain to our listeners what those are? Oh, you've asked at a particularly tricky time. Um, So at the moment, we have the LPC, um, which is essentially the course that you undertake to become a solicitor. And then you have the BPTC, which is the course you undertake to become a barrister. However, both of the courses are changing at the moment, um, which is why it's a little bit tricky. So in the future, in order to become a solicitor, you are going to have to do the SQE, which is the Solicitor's Qualifying Examination. And um, as a sort of summary of how that's set up, it's essentially going to be a two-part exam. So your first, the first half of the exam essentially tests, um, it tests your skills. Um, and then the first half of the exam is a multiple choice question, which is about 180 questions based on based on law. And then the second half is about skills, which is those soft skills such as drafting or writing. Um, and then the BPTC is changing to become, well, a range of different bar courses. Um, and it's not actually finalised exactly what that course is going to change to yet. Um, but essentially, the bar courses are going to be, again, a sort of two-part sort of thing. The first one testing your knowledge of the law and the second one testing your skills again, except for the bar course and to become a barrister, the skills that will be testing are things like advocacy. Um, it's a different type of drafting, you know, holding conferences with clients. So essentially, the entire legal profession <laughs> is um, reforming at the moment. And I understand that it is quite complicated for anyone who's sort of trying to work out what to do. Um, and the best advice I can give to anybody who is looking at what course to study, um, I'd go on the, the SRA website and I'd go on to, I think there's, for the, for the bar courses, I think there's some good websites out there, things like Prospects. Um, and I think maybe the student lawyer might do something as well, um, which essentially sets out what the different routes are. I, I just say that because at the moment it is quite a complex, complex route into the profession right now. And I would definitely say that you want to be looking into what the relevant route is for you at the time you're applying. So if that's a bit of a complicated answer. <laughs> I'm sure it's not as complicated as um, the SQE itself. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Students should be scared. I'm sure when they get to that stage, it will be it'll that's true actually in a year or two it's going to be really clear because we'll have gone through the transition period so you mentioned that uh, the BPTC is for people that want to become barristers and the LPC is for um, people that want to become solicitors can you just uh, explain the key differences between a barrister and a solicitor yeah of course so a barrister is the sort of typical person that everyone thinks of when they think of a lawyer you know they're the one in the tv dramas and um, they're essentially the ones that will appear in court and advocate on behalf of a client so they'll present their case to the judge they'll they'll um cross-examine witnesses um which is a term to sort of describe you know when they do that interrogating thing in a witness box um, and they'll essentially be be dealing with the case when it's in court now, solicitors do essentially all the work up until you get to court. So they will meet the client. You know, they'll, they'll do that initial um, conversation with the client, trying to work out you know, what the problem is. They'll then run the case all the way up to court. 
So they'll do the sort of the drafting of the witness statements um, and they'll do the sort of strategy up until court. Um, does that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. So the the solicitor deals with the client who can be a business owner or an individual person. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, a solicitor would essentially do the sort of day to day running of a case. And then the barrister gets sort of swooped in to do court. Um, a really good analogy that I heard actually once was comparing it to a sort of a GP and a consultant. So if you think of a GP deals with the sort of day-to-day health management, but then if you've got a really serious problem, you fly in the consultant. And that's, I think, quite a good way of thinking of the solicitor-barrister relationship. Yeah, wonderful. That makes that makes sense. Law just sounds fascinating. Um, and I'm, many students want to... Uh, Get involved in it in it I think what would you um, advise to students that are thinking about getting into law but a little bit worried about the fees that come along with a law degree how did you fu- how did you fund law school um, Rishi what we what were your options uh, when you were a student um, yeah I mean I think there's no hiding away from it it's it's pretty expensive um, you know paying for law school and getting getting through um, to sort of uh, qualifying um, but I think so when I so I, I guess the way I'll, I'll deal with this is first just sort of talking about what's out there and then um, you know how I went about it so um, you know there are a few um, scholarships and schemes available that um, you know, students just have to sort of dig out for and, and and see if they can apply. I know that the so when you're thinking about um, straight after university going to law school, um, a number of the providers will have their own scholarships. So um, whichever law school provider you go to, um, they'll have some sort of scheme um, that you can you can apply for. Um, if at that at that sort of early stage when you when you're thinking about either so if you've either done a law degree or you've done the um conversion course as it currently stands um and you've got an idea of which way you, you want to branch off either you know to become a barrister or a solicitor i think that's probably the stage that you've got to sort of um yeah i guess sort of see which funding options you've got available to you so if you're thinking about going to the bar, um, the Inns of Court, which are sort of like um, representative bodies for barristers, um, they all have their own um, scholarship arrangements for students that are doing the conversion course, so the GDL, and but then also the bar course. And although I, I don't exactly know what's going to happen once the new kind of courses come in, I imagine that you know they'll they'll probably be adapted to um, fund students for that so um, it's worth looking on each of the inns of court so there's Gray's Inn, um, Lincoln's Inn, Inner Temple and Middle, Middle Temple um, and they they will have more information on their website so it's worth looking at that um, so you probably have an interview and then if you sort of secure the scholarship they'll pay for your fees um, at that sort of early stage, if you're thinking about becoming a solicitor, um, one thing that you might already want to do in your second or third year of university or, you know, just ahead um, is to apply for a vacation scheme. Um, I think a lot of commercial firms will recruit um, interns sort of one or two years in advance. And 
once you've done the vacation scheme, there sometimes will be an opportunity um, to interview for a training contract. Um, and at that stage, if you do secure a training contract before you've even stepped through law school, um, then you they might be able to pay for your um, law school fees and then also provide you with a grant. So that's that's another option. Um, the if you're thinking about doing something which isn't commercial and that's sort of where my interests were then it, it can be a little bit more difficult but it's also not entirely impossible so um there are two schemes that are um so one scheme that's organized by the law society is the diversity access scheme so this scheme is make the purpose is what well, it's what it says on the tin it's there to um you know sort of widen access to the profession uh, from non-traditional backgrounds. Um, and if you're able to you know, secure um, a place on this scheme, then you're provided with a bursary to fund you through law school. Um, but then they also have provisions to arrange work experience and um, mentoring support with another lawyer just to sort of help your transition to the law. Um, so that's worth checking out. Um, the the other thing is also if you're thinking about um, training contracts in itself and you're from a non-traditional background, um, the Justice First Fellowship um, is keen to um, provide training opportunities for baby barristers, baby solicitors. And also, um, we haven't talked about it much, but another route is um, to become a chartered legal executive. And they also provide training for those as well. So those are some of the options. Um, in terms of what I did, I wish I knew what I've just told you, because when I went to go about it, I had no clue. And so um, the way that I did it was um, I got a job as a paralegal. Um, I then um, applied for a postgraduate loan through student finance to do the LPC. Um, and then I worked part time and then you know did the rest of law school before securing a training contract. So, um, yeah. That, that was that was that was me so just to summarize students that are uh what that attended university and did law for example they finish university and then they've got a couple of options they either think oh, i'm going to going to go down the solicitor route and that's when they need to go to law school to do the lpc that's when they need to fund their education but there's a different there's a couple of different ways of doing that. So I think what you're saying is they can apply for um, training contracts at law firms and sometimes law firms contribute to uh, the funding of the LPC. Or if they want to go down the barrister route, they need to do the uh, BPTC. Do and the ends of court, there are schemes that can help out with funding do chambers help out with with the with the um bptc as well um yes you're i think susie's probably got a better idea of that just from her experience i don't know if you want to chip in yeah so um the way that it works if you get a pupillage is you get paid a set amount for a full year and what some chambers are willing to do is to let you take some of that money early in order to pay for the bptc so it's essentially you draw down some of that money a year early to pay for the BPTC. Oh, that's great. It sounds like there's lots of op lots of options for people then. So, Anisha, 
how did you find law school? What were your what are your tips for um, you know people about thinking about doing the GDL because that's what you did, isn't it? Yeah, so I I did the GDL, um, which is what you do, um, which is the law conversion if you've not studied law as an undergraduate degree, and if you're lucky enough, you can also uh, have those fees paid for as part of your training contract as well. In terms of whether I enjoyed law school, um, I think I probably did. Uh, but <laughs> effectively, I think for many, it's a means to an end in the sense that it's quite a specific, uh, targeted, practical course. So, I mean, I would, I took, I, I took it quite seriously, and I sort of, I studied quite hard on on the course, and I think it actually really paid off because then I remember being starting my training contract and being in my first seat, and bits of um, my course on the GDL and the LPC would come up just little practical bits about I don't know what a company's articles are or something like that and it would just be like oh ka-ching I remember that so I was I'd say that it's um you know it is a means to an end in many ways but it 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 can be very helpful um did you want me to say anything about providers for those courses yes please do so they tend to be the same kind of um lot there's kind of the same stock providers for the LPC and also the other the other courses um, and there are probably different courses but just slight variations um, in terms of the courses that they provide I would probably say the most important thing to do is either you have um, a particular train well I'm talking about the solicitor route but you have a, a training contract which has been paid for and in which case they will assign you a particular provider that that law firm works with. If you don't and you are self-funding, then the most important thing I would say is to make sure that you align with the kinds of firms you're looking for because they tend to send all of their students to certain providers and you probably want to go to that provider. Um, and also, you would also want to look at what kinds of electives they're uh, paid for, trainees are doing, so that you are doing similar courses. So that if you do take a training contract with them eventually you're on the same page wonderful can you just explain for our listeners that aren't sure exactly what a provider is oh yeah sorry I just mean the different law schools so um I went to BPP um there are university courses uh there's a uh, college of law I don't know if anyone else has got some um Kaplan but not anymore any other schools that come to mind I think there's also city law school um yeah yeah yep. and do they do uh, is it just a full-time course that they do for gdl or can you take it part-time as well because is it am i right in saying that um the full-time is a year-long course for the gdl yeah um so the gdl is a full-time year course and so is the lpc um but i think you can do them I think you can do both part-time over a number of years. I think there are various different options. Um, so I I definitely did the sort of the, the LPC uh, part-time, but then I did the GDL full-time. So I think there is quite a lot of flexibility there. And even in terms of um, part-time, um, there are quite a few options. So I think you can choose whether you want to do um, weekends only or whether you want to do it during the day on, you know, like a Monday or a Friday so that it's easier for you to manage any work requirements that you have. Or, you know, the one that I went for was um, weekday evenings, which sort of 
looking back was horrendous um you know it's the point is you know you do have quite a lot of flexibility in terms of how you want to go about it well thank you for sharing that so law school is over you've done you know you've got all your qualifications you know what career path you want to go down um what are the next steps once you've decided for example Susie you want to become a barrister what what does um what does a student who wants to become a barrister need to do to secure pupillage Okay, so the, the first thing you want to do when you're thinking about becoming a barrister is undertake something that's called a mini pupillage. So um, because uh, because entering the profession of becoming a barrister is actually quite, it's quite difficult to understand, chambers offer things called mini pupillages, which are where you spend a couple of days shadowing a barrister. So you'll follow them around at court, um, you'll talk to them about the sort of drafting that they're doing, you'll learn more about their practice. Um, it is essentially a couple of days of following around the barrister um, doing, doing what they do. Um, I would say you want to do as many of those as you can. I think the normal is about, I think about four to six before people get pupillages. Um, and you can do them in you know, a whole range of areas of law. Again, something I would recommend is doing mini pupillages in lots of different areas of law so that you can really get an understanding of what is for you. You know, you might do one in criminal law and you might do one in family law and they're going to be completely different jobs. Um, so I would say try and do as many as you can in as many different areas as you can. Um, once you've done, you know, quite a few mini pupillages and, you know, you're, just, you're certain about, you know, that the bar is for you and that is the job that you want to, you know, you want to apply for, you will then apply for a pupillage. And what a pupillage is, essentially, is a year-long training course to become a barrister. Now, a, a pupillage is split into two halves. You have the first six, where you essentially follow around a barrister, and then you have the second six, where you start getting your own cases, and you're on your feet, you're in court, um, you're essentially doing the job, but um, you're not a fully-fledged barrister yet. and Applying for pupillage is um, is is probably the most the most difficult hurdle I would say to becoming a barrister. Do you want me to go into a lot of detail about the whole pupillage application process? Um, I think it would be quite useful to know. Well, bringing it back to mini pupillages, when when is a good time to start applying for them? Because you you don't have to wait until you finish all of your education, do you? No, God, definitely not. Um, so you can do mini pupillages. Well, I would advise doing a mini pupillage as soon as you think that the bar might be for you. You know, you can do them as early as sixth form. Um, and it's really helpful to get an understanding of whether or not you like the thought of being a barrister. It's a very niche profession. You know, not everybody likes, you know, standing up in court and giving, you know, long, eloquent speeches. Um, and it's really helpful to do a mini pupillage as soon as you think that it might be for you, because if you find a mini pupillage really enjoyable, you know, you will you'll start to do more and you really need to tailor your CV to become a barrister. But also you might decide it's not for you and you can then, you know, change course to look for something else. So I would say there's no reason to wait. There's no reason to be nervous thinking, you know, oh, it's too early. You know, just just 
apply for mini pupillages as soon as you think it might be for you. Right. So, so you you mentioned uh, pupillage application forms, and I know that we spoke earlier about personal statements, but I guess we're flipping it now, and we need to tailor the application to the firm. Would that would that is that right? Yes, definitely. Um, I think it's interesting you say that because writing pupillage application forms is a bit like writing a personal statement all over again, um, except at this stage of your career, you'd expect to have a much clearer understanding of why you want to become a barrister. Um, you you definitely want to tailor it to the chambers that you're applying to. Um, it's really important to show in your application an understanding of the type of work the chambers do, um, sort of the ethos of the chambers you know what their sort of business approach is um and it's that's something that you really want to bring out in your statement both what the chambers does but also why you'd be a good fit for that chambers and why you know you should have pupillage there it's not it's not just saying you know i'm a really good candidate it's saying i'm a really good candidate for this job and this is why wonderful um do you know what I've heard um, a number of times? I've always found this helpful for myself. That if you're writing an application and you can take the firm's name out of that application and put a different firm's name in, that kind of means it it's not tailored enough to that firm. <laughs> I think that's a really good way of putting it. Um, you should never be able to just copy and paste it into another application form. If you can copy and paste it, it's not tailored enough. Yeah. So what are your what are your top tips for researching a firm? Um, well, I guess for the first thing you want to do is obviously look at their website in detail. You know, look at um, look at the type of work they do, look at the people who are there. But then I think you need to go one step further than that. Maybe look at some of the reported cases that have been out recently um, that the firm has been involved with, because that will give you a really good idea of what sort of work they're doing. Um, Try and speak to some people in the firm. Often people are more than happy to speak to you about, you know, the culture of the firm and the type of work they do. And don't be afraid of reaching out, because a lot of people in firms are are more than happy to mentor sort of younger students and, uh, you know, to tell them, to, to provide them information about a firm. So I'd have to say, like, don't be scared of reaching out to people. Right. So you just mentioned reported cases. Is is that a case that's been made into law? Yeah, exactly. So um, if you go onto a firm's website, they'll often have put out a news a news flash about a big case that they've done recently that has then been um, reported in the law reports. Um, and I, one of my yeah one of my big tips would be to look at the news section on websites because it will really tell you the sort of the big cases that that firm will have done recently and it will show that you're really on top of the law because you've seen what's been reported recently right Rishi is it the same kind of process when you are looking for a um, training contract I think a lot of it is um, although both the sort of barrister and solicitor are quite distinctive um, I think you know, it, it will really be the work experience that will help you to decide what you want to do. And I think there is absolutely no harm in, um, you know, arranging that over sort of summer holidays between, I don't know, from sixth form onwards, really, and just trying different things out. 
um, you know, you don't have to go through a formal vacation scheme. You can try and approach firms and, you know, see if they're doing um, sort of summer work experience, um, because that really gives you an idea of what type of work they're doing, whether it's for you, um, and, you know, it helps you to decide. And I think, um, so I work at a firm that does quite a lot of um, uh, sort of, I guess, broadly speaking, human rights work. And I think if you're thinking about doing um, sort of civil liberties or just generally that type of work, um, it's really, really important that you've um, had some experience in it because um, getting training contracts or working for in those types of areas is really competitive. It's it's the sort of I get the impression that, you know, when you're at university or you're thinking about doing law, it's one of those popular areas for many law students to go go for. And, and for that reason, it becomes really different, difficult to justify why you're interested in, for example, becoming um, a human rights lawyer or a, you know, a civil liberties lawyer. Um, and it's that work experience and those sort of anecdotes that will help you to you know, justify that. Having said that, I think you can also do work experience, which is not um, legally related. So. Um, I've got colleagues that um, spent um, sort of time working in refugee camps um, uh, during the refugee crisis in um, sort of 2015 and so on, or um, colleagues that have sort of worked at their local citizens' advice or a law centre, um, you know, others that have worked at food banks. It, it doesn't really matter if it's related to the law, because sometimes Depend, especially if you're going into that type of area, um, human rights or civil liberties, um, it can tie in really well. Um, so keep an open mind, I would say, and definitely um, try and get as much work experience as you can. That's easier said than done, but it is possible. So give it a go. Yeah. Well, thank you. So you're all practicing lawyers now, which is fantastic. You've all been able to provide some really, really useful advice, I think, to aspiring lawyers. Um, I just want really want to ask, Anisha, what's what's the best part of your job? What do you enjoy the most? I think it's um enabling clients. So I work with um lots and lots of different types of clients, but um in particular um higher education, uh cultural organisations and, and various different types of charities. And I'd say being able to use your knowledge and your skills to help them um, with a particular project um, or strategy, uh, that feels really good. So probably boiling that down, it's working in an advisory capacity that then enables somebody else to do something you know, interesting. Well, Susie, what about you? Um, so I work in family law, particularly with people getting divorced or um, having issues with sort of custody of their children. And for me, I the best part of my job is when I reach the end of the case and I've helped a family move on um, and I've, I've essentially enabled people to move on with their life from what is often one of the most difficult um, difficult experiences they will ever go through and it's sort of getting them through that in a way that enables them to just get to get on with their life in a positive way really. Oh, that's lovely. Rishi? Um, I think my, my sort of um, 
the on that is very similar to Susie's. Um, I so uh, you know I really like the um, the contact that you have with different people um, and how you sort of take them along. Um, you know, from sort of one point where things seem really really difficult, and you you walk them through, and you know if things work out, you know hopefully you'll see them through the other end, and things will be looking better. Um, I quite like that um sort of combination of i guess sort of being friendly and you know being that friend that's there to sort of hold their hand through the journey but then also kind of problem solving and driving them through that i really uh, i really enjoy that so it really sounds like you use hard skills and soft skills there absolutely absolutely i think it's um you know you've got to you've got to be able to um sort of just talk to people and really sort of you know it, I, I don't think that you can just be a textbook lawyer and sort of it, it's just not how the world works and you know you've got to be able to just get to um sort of get to know people and interact with people on sort of that human level um, and I think that's really important well thank you um Susie Rishi and Anisha you've provided I think some really fantastic advice to listeners and um, definitely something to think about going through university law school and thinking about a future career in law thank you thank you very much for having thanks Stephanie thank you bye everybody bye To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. We'd like to thank Felix Knight for producing this podcast today. Thank you.